The HR World Podcast. HR in 2020. A new employment landscape. Brought to you by Resource Management in association with the HR World. The HR World is a premier peer support network for senior HR professionals. In November 2014, the HR World facilitated a roundtable debate led by the head of HR business partners at Nationwide Building Society, Helen Norris. The debate discussed the technological advances and security challenges of the future and if we're ready for global, technological and demographic change. This podcast will summarise the debate and introduce you to the topics discussed. Forward by Helen Norris, Head of HR Business Partners at Nationwide Building Society. When the HR world asked me to lead the latest roundtable discussion, I was delighted to have the opportunity to raise the topic of HR in 2020. Factors such as the explosive growth in digital and social media technologies are opening up a whole new role for those in HR, including the opportunity to take a lead in shaping organisations for the future. I grew up with a communal phone in the hall, and the delight of sitting at the bottom of the stairs trying to have a private conversation with my friends. For children today, the world of mobile phones, Facebook, Twitter and other means of on-the-go communication is part of everyday life, so the thought of working 9-5 to in an office seems very dreary. However, as economic power shifts from the West to the emerging markets of Latin America, Eastern Europe and Asia, It is not simply technology and the attitudes of the emerging workforce that are changing. Rapid growth in these parts of the world is creating a new global middle class with impressive spending power. This is leading to intense competition for new markets, each with its own unique local flavour. People no longer want to be treated as a commodity. They want to be personally engaged by their employer. As the baby boom generation those born between 1946 and 1964, hits what we might call normal retirement age, experienced talent will be at a premium. This, in turn, puts pressure on younger workers to quickly become mature, skilled leaders. Should we, therefore, be leveraging the mature workforce in an effort to upskill incoming talent? Many believe that the emerging Generation Y, or Millennials, those born around 1975 to 1995, have a strong focus on the future, expecting opportunities to progress, to build skills in multiple areas, and to receive frequent, constructive feedback. However, with a held view that much of Gen Y are CV building, and interested in citizenship and sustainability, how do we deal with the fact that these demanding employees may not give loyalty in return? As a community of HR professionals, the first question that comes to mind is how should we respond to technology? Do we embrace the wealth of innovations available, reaping the benefits of being an early adopter? Or do we observe a more selective approach, carefully choosing which changes to make, yet potentially missing out on the next big thing? Many businesses will become increasingly reliant on better technology and self-service, with employees inputting data independently. Consequently, entry-level HR jobs as they currently exist will reduce significantly. To evolve, HR may need to embrace analytics and big data to become a more strategic function. One thing is for certain. 
To successfully navigate this increasingly turbulent environment, strong decision-makers, and inevitably good leaders, will be required. So the big question is, are we ready? Some businesses will feel sufficiently equipped to face these new challenges, but for others, drastic changes may be required to keep pace with the increasingly demanding and competitive climate. However ready we as HR professionals feel, we should take comfort in the fact that we don't have to face these issues alone. HR can greatly benefit from cross-function collaboration with disciplines such as IT, legal and marketing, and although some believe that the challenges facing HR have been exaggerated, there is no denying that HR needs to leave its comfort zone and respond in some capacity to be ready for 2020. Technology, the effect and application. At the dawn of the century, Ray Kurzweil, chief engineer at Google, predicted that 20,000 years of progress would happen in a 100. But in reality, change has occurred even faster than that. Technology is transforming society, and with it, the ways in which people operate and work every day. 53% of people believe technology will drive the most significant changes for HR and employment over the next decade, impacting the way we plan, review, communicate, engage and recruit. Big data and vital analytics. Technology and data go hand in hand. The international business machine's discovery that 90% of all current data was created in the last two years means it comes as no surprise that big data has become an industry hot topic. Big data can be defined as datasets whose size is beyond the ability of typical database software tools to capture, store, manage and analyse. An accurate analysis of big data may lead to more confident decision-making, greater operational efficiencies, cost reductions and reduced risk. Within HR, software can utilise data to track employee turnover, retention, CV suitability and much more. The question is, what can be done with it? The problem is that many organisations still have closed views on collected data, failing to invest in how it can benefit performance. If big data is embraced, organisations can reap the benefits of proactivity, becoming anticipatory businesses that predict gaps and solve problems before they occur. The debate guests agreed that HR is underutilising big data, a view in line with findings that only 18% of HR professionals see themselves as effective anticipators. Talent management, how technology can help. In terms of attracting talented candidates, tech-aided targeting strategies are helping to fish where the fish are. Debate leader Helen Norris shared how an advanced targeting technique called geofencing is being trialled by Nationwide, placing a virtual fence around geographical areas and sending promotional text messages to individuals who match their criteria, cinema patrons, for instance. Nationwide also utilises Layer, an augmented reality print application, throughout their graduate brochure. This enables them to bring to life a career at Nationwide with video clips, whilst also channelling candidates to the graduate website. One of the biggest technology-driven transformations is happening in the hiring process. A job interview used to consist of a paper-based application form and a face-to-face interview. These days, video CVs and virtual interviews 
allow candidates to progress to the latter application stages without physically meeting anyone. Automated systems are commonly in place to test, evaluate and either auto-reject or progress candidates in the early application stages. The overall debate response to this process was negative, due to its impersonal nature. However, for large corporations with a high volume of applicants, it was accepted that this may be the only option. In addition to using video, mobile device optimization, social media and apps in recruitment, proactive businesses are also utilising gamification. Gamification selectively uses the mechanics that bring out people's natural desires for competition, achievement, status, self-expression and closure, replacing presentations and surveys with a more interactive and enjoyable medium. Using this can help businesses to evaluate a candidate's behaviours, views and overall suitability. There are some inspiring examples of gamification in practice. The Marriott Hotel Groups app enables users to perform virtual hotel service tasks to sieve out applicants who lack the required aptitude, and HCL Technologies send an interactive game to job-offered applicants 30 days before they start to onboard, record engagement and predict offer rejections. Employee engagement When candidates become employees, technology can be beneficial in helping to solve the engagement problem. One debate guest gave a great example of how their company uses an internal Twitter feed to engage their workforce. The platform has defied generational, geographical and hierarchical divides, with a diverse range of employees sharing content such as pictures, charitable endeavours and work-based achievements company-wide. The combination of humour, information and accomplishments has engaged the majority of the business, whilst the risk of offensive content is nullified by near real-time moderation. Gamification can also be used at this stage for onboarding, learning and development. Forbes contributor Kevin Cruz stated that engaged employees care more, are more productive, give better service and even stay in their jobs longer. Monitoring good leavers. Many businesses treat an employee leaving like a bad breakup, but does it always have to be that way? Technology can help businesses communicate with and track those ex-employees regarded as good leavers, enabling them to potentially call upon their services again in the future. For example, LinkedIn profiles can often reveal where they're working and any additional skills they have gained. This means organisations may have access to current data on a talent pool of ex-employees who could become candidates in the future. Many large organisations also use a well-established alumni network to remain connected, with supporting emails and events. These can lead to future opportunities, as organisations are monitoring and communicating with ex-employees at other businesses and so already have one foot in the door for any future interactions. If an employee's departure was handled poorly, however, they are unlikely to remain in contact. This is, in fact, where technology becomes a threat. Dissatisfied leavers can use social media and platforms such as Glassdoor to publicly criticise and damage employer brand. Revolutionising the way we work Debate guest Martin Spencer, HR and OD director at GoCompare.com, revealed 
that it is very difficult for his company to take their website down for maintenance, even on Christmas Day or in the small hours of the morning, due to the risk of losing customers. This demonstrates perfectly the emergence of an always-on culture, both for business and for employees. As the workplace shifts to the cloud and technology continues to break down geographical barriers, remote and flexible working is becoming increasingly common. An employee no longer needs to be at work to be working, and instead, employees are using their own personal devices to operate wherever and whenever they find most convenient. People are now able to collaborate in virtual teams, regardless of location and without physically meeting. These factors enable employees to demand far more flexibility and autonomy in their working life, and the capability of managing projects and workloads is becoming an essential skill for both employer and employee. So if people can work at any time, and in any location, where does work stop and personal time begin? Guests of the HR World debate discussed Bring Your Own Device, or BYOD, the always-on culture, the virtual office, and flexible working at length. But what was most interesting was the degree to which their approaches and views varied. Whilst on annual leave, one guest chooses to check their emails for one hour per day. Others regularly respond to emails, and some try to shut off completely. Adam Meadows, Managing Director of Solutions at RSG, stated a preference for working face-to-face with people and meeting those he's collaborating with. Yet other guests seem much more comfortable with the concept of virtual working. The diversity of opinion in a room filled with senior industry professionals tells us that these technology-driven changes will be a differentiator for businesses, potentially having a significant impact on success. Case Study Human Resources Management in 2020 The Role of IT By David Beard Senior HR Management Lecturer at the University of the West of England As we emerge from recession and look towards 2020, the future of Human Resources Management, or HRM, seems uncertain and is likely to be influenced by the pace of recovery. However, the future role of IT in HRM may be easier to predict. Recent studies highlight a growing trend towards cloud-based HRM, or eHRM, accessed via corporate intranets. Many large organisations are investing in such services, and the effects will be felt for many years to come. Yet these investments are often made in the absence of a clear strategy. Research points to a lack of theoretical frameworks in the deployment of eHRM, suggesting poor strategic alignment. The adoption of eHRM is frequently HR-driven and motivated by dissatisfaction avoidance, that is, the desire to avoid frustration and complaints from employees with HR service delivery rather than business strategy. Here are some of the key emerging eHRM adoption trends. 1. Best practice instead of best fit HRM Customised and expensive early generation HR systems are being replaced with standard cloud-based services accessed under licence from giant software suppliers such as Oracle. For many organisations, the advantages of cloud-based systems are clear. State-of-the-art service delivery at a reasonable cost, maintained by third-party experts. An unexplored consequence of this is the forced adoption of systems-driven best-practice HRM, rather than a best-fit approach. New HRM is standard and often requires organisations to re-engineer HR processes around them. 
For example, a UK-based global telecommunications company recently deployed an Oracle Fusion eHRM system across its worldwide operations, replacing various heavily customised versions of an earlier ePeopleSoft system. Extensive process changes were required, and the functionality of the new eHRM became lower than its predecessor, raising questions about its alignment with other systems and its acceptability to users. 2. Smaller, more specialised HRM departments New eHRM provides self-service for users, reducing or even eliminating the need for HR staff in basic service delivery. Its introduction has accelerated a trend towards smaller HR departments, offering specialist business partnering services, contributing to business strategy. The ability of eHRM to generate a wealth of real-time data supports these new strategic activities. More and more of HR's time is being spent in a service broker or contract manager role, mediating between internal customers and external suppliers. Evidence in the marketplace suggests that a well-planned eHRM investment can fully recover costs within 18 to 24 months. 3. Reversal of outsourcing Simplified self-service eHRM, with dynamic approvals routing, is reducing demand for large HR service centres. Earlier outsourcing models, which use third-party suppliers in low-cost locations for higher-volume delivery, are rapidly becoming obsolete. New cloud-based eHRM offers automated services, which were previously delivered by HR service centres, providing real-time data to manage remaining HR transactions. Recently, a UK-based global telecommunications and broadcast company invested in cloud-based systems to reduce HR delivery volumes by its service centres. This allowed their return to the UK from locations in Eastern Europe and India. Interestingly, the company is now considering using its cloud-based capabilities for revenue generation by selling managed HR services to other organisations. As these brief case studies illustrate, IT is likely to have a profound influence on HRM in 2020. It will enable smaller, specialist HR functions to offer strategic services and demonstrate a return on investment. It may also allow successful HR departments to sell managed services for profit. The Effects of Diversity on Talent The Global Village Whilst technology will evidently impact how we work in 2020, the workforce itself is also growing increasingly diverse. Diversity extends far beyond gender, race and religion, encompassing sexual orientation, culture, age, disability and all ways in which people differ. A global study of over 10,000 people found that 33% believe demographic shifts and increased workplace diversity will have the biggest impact on HR in the next 10 years. Technology's creation of a global village means that modern working can involve collaboration across time zones and continents, with people of different cultures working together in global teams. Helen Norris shared that one of her UK-based peers gives tasks to an assistant in Australia, which are then completed by the time she starts work the next day, perfectly demonstrating cross-time zone collaboration. Increased diversity due to globalisation is also likely to have a huge impact on employee mobility, providing opportunities to move to different offices around the world. 
Modern businesses are a collage of gender, ethnicity, age, nationality, culture and more. But why is this important? The debate guests supported the view that the significance of this for HR will be in workplace behaviours, how to drive employee engagement and the practices and tools employees require to interact. When generations collide An increasing life expectancy and an ageing population means that people are working beyond normal retirement age, leading to an overall ageing of the UK labour market. However, there is also an influx of smart young talent, pushing the boundaries of working culture. Jean Meister, co-author of The 2020 Workplace, observed that in four years, millennials will account for nearly half of the employees in the world. There are many preconceptions about Gen Y, who are a heavily stereotyped demographic. Common assumptions include an absence of employee loyalty, a tendency to job hop, a sense of entitlement regarding earnings, progression and training, a high degree of technical competency and confidence, and an expectation of employer loyalty and attention. Neil Ellett, Client Managing Director at Xerox, shared his view that many millennials expect employer loyalty but don't necessarily feel obliged to return the favour, whilst Martin Spencer added that they now expect fringe benefits and perks as standard because other companies are offering the same. Whilst there is some truth in this, many agree that there exists a millennial misunderstanding. In comparison with other generations, research has confirmed that to some extent millennials do expect to be paid more and promoted faster, are more likely to leave their jobs and do demand more career development opportunities. However, any business hoping to effectively manage Gen Y needs to read between the lines. The debate guests expressed their belief that the differences between millennials and other generations are exaggerated, with the media playing a large part in this. Mike Beasley, CEO at RSG, championed this view, stating that in most cases, the core motivations of the Gen Y workforce are the same as the workforce of 30 years ago, and that the career-for-life decline is not a recent phenomenon. Employers must consider the environment in which modern employees and job-seekers exist, where information is readily available on company salaries, employee satisfaction and benefits. Many guests agreed that Gen Y's desire for comparative information is turning job interviews into a two-way process, whereby the candidate is simultaneously assessing the interviewer, job role and business. In addition, Caroline Beer, business manager of the HR world, reminded guests that millennials are also regularly targeted with employment opportunities through advertising, recruitment specialists and platforms such as LinkedIn. People are, to some extent, a product of their environment. So is it really surprising that the wealth of information and opportunities in modern society is producing informed and demanding individuals? With this demographic set to form the workforce of the future, businesses must aim to understand and satisfy their demands, in addition to managing and integrating a mixture of generations. In fact, how effectively 2020 leadership responds will likely be another key indicator of future talent management, and inevitably, business performance. A potential shift in the employment landscape. In addition to the changes in how we work and who we work with, many also believe that we could see a significant shift in how we are employed. 
83% of executives employ temporary workers, and 46% believe that over a fifth of their workforce will soon be contingent. This trend looks set to continue, ensuring that the 2020 workforce will be increasingly flexible. It has even been suggested that traditional employment could disappear altogether, replaced entirely by self-branded individuals selling their skills. Whilst this may not come to fruition, there has certainly been a significant rise in contracting, with an increasing number viewing themselves as members of a discipline as opposed to part of a company. From an organisational perspective, this increase in flexibility appears positive, but it comes at a cost. Many non-permanent workers are not sufficiently integrated into a business, often experiencing mistreatment, exclusion and the inappropriate delegation of unfavourable tasks, reducing their productivity. Another issue is the principal-agent problem, which is the challenge of motivating one party, the agent, to act in the best interests of another, the principal. Temporary workers may prioritise work for other clients or rush jobs so that they can take on new business, due to less attachment to a company than a permanent employee. So, should businesses invest time and money into integrating and training these temporary workers? The impact on work, driven by factors such as employment type, culture, gender and religion, could form a white paper in itself, but conversation at this debate centred on demographics, and in particular, generations. Adapt to survive. Can leadership respond? Many senior figures believe that the required shift in management practices to accommodate the rapidly changing workforce will have the single biggest impact on the way we work in the next 10 years. It is therefore concerning that in an international employee study, only 34% believe that management is prepared to lead a diverse workforce and just 47% think they can effectively lead global teams. With a lot of unexperienced talent entering the workforce through entry-level positions and graduate schemes, is there a danger of the blind leading the blind? Guests of the HR World debate discussed the ways in which leadership must respond to key areas of change, with technology at the heart of the discussion once again. Leadership's response to technology Gen Y workers are not just familiar with new technology, but expect to see it integrated into their working environment. With technology experiencing constant innovation, the task of deciding which technologies to adopt and which to reject becomes increasingly difficult. It was suggested at the HR World debate that a sheep mentality has emerged, with people fearing that they are missing out by not adopting popular innovations in their industry. One guest shared a cautionary tale. Their business purchased presentation software Prezi because it was a hot product, only to discover that it lacked the level of flexibility they required. The agreed-upon solution was that leaders need to ask themselves which innovations are relevant and appropriate, only adopting new technology if it is likely to solve a business need, improve a function, or create a new opportunity. Fish where the fish are. One of the key influences technology exerts on business is through social media. The vast majority of organisations, stakeholders and customers use a variety of social media platforms, creating numerous risks and opportunities that require a leadership response. Debate guests agreed that many businesses do not sufficiently align their social media with corporate strategies, 
wasting valuable opportunities for brand development and business generation. Adam Meadows observed that some follow to keep updated and some follow to complain. You must consider your followers and produce content accordingly. One size doesn't fit all. Organisations need to understand their target audience, ensuring that their social media output contributes to business efforts by tailoring content across platforms. Again, leaders need to be effective decision makers. If certain social media platforms aren't appropriate for their business, they shouldn't be afraid of avoiding them. What they should avoid is worshipping false idols, valuing the number of followers, friends or views as more important than relevant connections and interactions. For those leaders struggling to grasp the power of social media, due to its almost unquantifiable ROI, Neil Ellett provided a great example, saying that when the Ministry of Defence entered Libya, they felt they didn't need social media or PR. In the end, Al Jazeera's PR and social media teams were destroying them publicly, so the MOD brought in a significant PR and comms team to protect and develop their brand in response. Social media, the risks and the rewards. Leaders need to understand how technology can blur the boundaries between work and personal life, specifically through social media, BYOD and now Wear Your Own Device, or WYOD. The mobilisation of technology means that employees can access their social media profiles and work emails from various devices in most locations. This both creates and solves problems. Unrestricted access can lead to procrastination at work, but it can also improve productivity for those who use social media as part of their job, such as marketing and comms. Leaders need to decide the extent to which they empower employees with trust and responsibility, or alternatively, control access with server filters and restrictive policies. Social media can become a serious problem when employees use work or personal accounts inappropriately. Leaders therefore need to ensure that there exists an education in correct social media conduct, including the consequences of posting inappropriate content for public consumption. In a 2011 case entitled Crisp vs Apple Retail, an employee made disparaging comments on Facebook about his employer and the company's products. The following employment tribunal concluded that the comments were damaging to the employer's reputation. In this case, the employee had received specific training on how to properly use social media in the context of his employment, and therefore, the employee's dismissal was deemed fair. Always on. Matters are complicated further as the prevalence of BYOD increases. Personal devices can raise security and confidentiality issues concerning company data and files, are often immune to restrictive filters, and increase the likelihood of receiving work-related communications when out of the office. The latter contributes to the always-on phenomenon, and the methods of tackling this was one of the more divisive topics of the HR world debate. Suggested out-of-office approaches included only answering phone calls, checking emails just once a day, and shutting off devices completely. Neil Ellett shared his philosophy of empowerment, which is achieved by shutting off from work when away and challenging his team to manage his inbox duties and responsibilities. Guests of the HR World Debate suggested that empowerment could also be referred back to social media, and whilst some restriction may be necessary, leaders need to learn to focus on measuring output and not input. What seemed evident is that the appropriate leadership response is subjective, 
And as long as a healthy work-life balance is maintained, leaders should decide on an approach that suits themselves and their team best. Agile Working As the 9-to-5 Monday-to-Friday working week becomes less and less uniform, modern managers face the challenge of leading an increasingly remote and flexible workforce. Technology allows employees to access work networks from devices in most locations, meaning they no longer have to be in work to be at work. Modern leaders must decide the extent to which they embrace this new flexibility or enforce a more traditional model. Some guests felt that a physical hub or office space was still important and that people work together more effectively in person. Mike Beasley shared his strong belief that employees still want a workplace and seek the community environment. This was supported by Sam Blackie, People and Corporate Affairs Director at Royal London Group, who commented that people are tribal at heart and want to belong. However, the multinational nature of modern business means that individuals may have to work in virtual teams, where face-to-face interactions are rare or non-existent. Virtual Collaboration So is virtual collaboration inferior to working in the same room? Many issues were raised including time zone disparity, contrasting convenience and communication problems in group teleconferences. John Power, Strategy, Change and Governance Director of Retail Savings at Legal and General, had a positive view on virtual working, championing video conferences in particular. He stated that they enable the immediate feedback of face-to-face interactions, providing the best of both worlds. Whichever method of remote communication is utilised, Helen Norris believes that leaders need to ensure etiquette is adhered to, with participants communicating regularly, engaged in interactions and allowing everyone to contribute. The debate response was supportive of remote teams meeting face-to-face on occasion to better understand each other's personalities and characteristics. This, in turn, helps shape the tone and nature of virtual collaboration and communication in the future. Output over input According to Mandy Moore of Hay Group, one of the key leadership challenges will be learning how to manage remote staff potentially from a range of different cultures and geographies, based on output rather than input. The flexible working trend is gathering pace, especially given the recent legislation that encourages working that suits an employee's needs, for instance having flexible start and finish times, or working from home. For traditionalists in particular, embracing the fluctuating timetable of the working week may be problematic. Combine this with the fact that many businesses are outsourcing activities or employing contractors, and the shift required in managing widespread working at various times and by various people becomes clear. The debate guests supported the theory that leaders need to become more output-focused. Organisational structures will continue to flatten, with a decentralisation of command necessitated by the need for flexible workers to manage their own schedule and input. It will take time for managers to accept that a member of their team may choose to do their weekly shop on a Wednesday afternoon. However, if an employee is able to deliver great results whilst working flexibly or remotely, does it really matter how? Working flexibly enables individuals to strike a healthier work-life balance, and if leaders are happy with the results, then this should be a win-win scenario. Whilst Helen Norris shared that she doesn't believe remote management is natural to most managers, 
Chris Buckingham of Resource Management, believes it is a necessary skill, as more and more employees demand choice and flexibility. This view was echoed by Neil Ellett, who stated that customers have a preference as to how they contact you, just as employees have a preference as to how they work. A further issue raised at the debate was that whilst a flexible or remote worker's output may be sufficient, it could be significantly below their potential, which is harder to assess without supervision. When a manager can oversee the means to which employees achieve an end, they can advise and correct poor practice. Empowering employees with independence requires a lot of trust. An effective leadership response could be the communication of output-based goals, with leaders available in a consultancy role where required. Diversity and demographics With an increasingly diverse workforce to manage, leaders must understand unique circumstances and how they need to be incorporated into work. Senior management behaviour needs to set the tone, aligning with organisational values and ensuring that employee integration is a priority. Beginning with effective onboarding, specific systems universal to the organisation need to be in place for all divisions of the workforce to remain cohesive and productive. The HR World debate focused heavily on the diversity of generations in the workforce, specifically the collision of demographics and managing millennials. Many Gen Y stereotypes were highlighted, and Helen Norris shared her view that mature employees need to mentor Gen Y, in exchange for assistance with new technologies and processes in a dual learning process. However, an important point raised early on in the discussion was that employees may not exhibit the perceived behaviours of their generation group. Sam Blackie added that whilst there are generational trends, leaders should segment based on need, not age. One of the most discussed stereotypes of millennials centres around disloyalty and the job-hopping trend. Research suggests that the average worker stays at their job for 4.4 years. However, the figure for Gen Y is said to be just half that. Claiming that this is simply due to Gen Y's supposed disloyalty and demanding nature carries little weight. It is less about different generations and more about the fact that the world of work today is very different. In this environment, more and more young people find themselves in low-quality jobs lacking reward and content, where there is a casual attitude towards staff turnover. Call centres are a great example, with the industry staff turnover figure expected to be around 26%. ASDA decided to take action regarding their own call centre, They revamped their employee engagement strategy, prioritising empowerment and career progression. As a result, the number of ASDA call centre staff leaving for other jobs fell to an impressive 1.3% in 2014. So is it really fair to treat people as disposable commodities and then blame their departure on a generational lack of loyalty? Interestingly, it was also suggested that an increasingly high employee turnover can actually present an opportunity, with talented people regularly becoming available. However, Martin Spencer countered that this still presents an issue for roles with rare skill sets. The guests also agreed that a negative stigma can be attached to ex-employees, when in reality, their reasons for leaving could be lack of progression opportunities, life circumstances, low engagement or poor management. Chris Buckingham believes that if the door is kept open for good leavers, and they remain engaged with the business they are leaving, businesses can rehire upskilled talent in the future, 
whilst also gaining valuable competitor intelligence. The debate guests concluded that leaders need to establish their own management philosophy regarding staff and the social contract, which will likely differ on career management responsibility, employee loyalty, good levers, and the acceptable length of employment. Managing Millennials Whilst the figures suggest that some acceptance of increasing employee churn will be required, leaders don't need to stand idly by. An analysis of the reasons behind this increasing trend amongst Gen Y reveals opportunities, especially regarding career development and job content. It is a common misconception that millennials want to job hop. In reality, they want to experience hop, with most stating that other internal opportunities are just as desirable. John Power commented that those on graduate schemes, accountants and military personnel experience varied roles and locations, and that more leaders should endeavour to provide a similar offering to non-graduates and entry-level employees. This not only holds an employee's interest, but simultaneously creates a pool of talent with cross-functional experience, although a specialism versus transferable skills debate is raised as a result. Whilst in practice there can be a reluctance to move staff across functions, research has shown that companies can retain staff by offering diverse experiences as opposed to fast promotion. The guests supported this philosophy of shifting career development back to the employer, adding that offering a long-term progressive and varied pathway will help retain more of Gen Y. So what else can leaders try? 50% of millennials expect regular managerial feedback, and 58% view themselves as competitive, frequently comparing their work with that of their peers. Leaders can create comparison opportunities, for instance games, leaderboards and competitions, where individual output is visible, whilst providing feedback on performance and areas of improvement. Other examples of businesses accommodating Gen Y include encouraging loyalty through employee recognition schemes and job changes every few years, offering global opportunities and using digital specialists to modernise technology and culture. It is clear that there are numerous opportunities for leadership response, attempting to meet future trends and developments head-on. However, the debate guests concluded that what we really need are more effective leaders. These leaders need to be identified based upon their management competencies and character, as opposed to length of tenure. Generalisation Why In Defence of Millennials by Steve Devereux Marketing Assistant at Resource Solutions Group Entering the workplace in my early 20s, and straight out of university, it is strange to think that I am part of the Gen Y demographic so heavily featured in the media. I believe that stereotypes such as being demanding, disloyal and impatient are offensive. In my eyes, much of this generation's behaviour is in fact motivated by ambition. Technology has opened up a whole new world of opportunity when it comes to communication and information, meaning that we are aware of, and constantly compare, what others are doing. If you know what is out there and what others are experiencing, this can often lead to higher expectations. As well as being ambitious, I think that much of Gen Y are confident in their ability to gain employment, with job boards, recruitment agencies and LinkedIn constantly presenting opportunities. 
the modern employee is therefore more likely to consider leaving a company if the social contract has not been maintained, or if there are insufficient opportunities to progress. A friend of mine is employed by a company that offers job and location rotation, training, a payment schedule, and a planned progression timeline. As a result, he intends to make a long-term commitment to that business. So you could argue that it's the quality of jobs on offer, as opposed to the people taking them, that are the problem. A 2014 Oxford Economics Global Study of 5,500 employees found that the motivations and views of Gen Y are in fact extremely similar to those of Gen X, those born around the 60s and 70s. Some of their core motivations were competitive compensation, bonuses and merit awards, and annual leave, with the generational variance marginal. These findings support the view that millennials are not so alien, just a product of, and willing to exploit, an environment that they perceive to be filled with opportunity. The Transformational Challenge How HR Must Evolve to Be Ready for 2020 HR is at a crossroads. Perceived by many to be passive and service-orientated, the function needs to evolve and develop. Elements of HR and the hiring function are already being replaced by technology and disruptive innovations are rendering many junior HR roles obsolete due to self-service. As a result, the view that much of HR's procedures could be absorbed into other functions was raised at the debate. Whilst procedural knowledge and experience is vital, John Power expressed his opinion that senior HR leaders could come from other business management roles, enabling a more well-rounded view of business challenges. Many of the most successful HR professionals are strong managers in other disciplines, and Martin Spencer added that you don't have to come through HR to be a great HR manager. In addition, Neil Ellett predicted that line managers will become more self-supporting and that the trend of outsourcing procedures will intensify. Some guests went as far as to claim that HR is in dire need of a rebrand, so how should HR respond? Better Together. HR needs to collaborate. A lot of HR departments work in their own silos, so the first transformational challenge is to learn to effectively collaborate. The debate response was that the three main departments HR needs to embrace are marketing, finance and IT, resulting in more board-level involvement. The guests felt that the employee experience should be as important as the customer experience. To achieve this, HR must collaborate with marketing, the communication experts that can help change the business. Many guests agreed that HR and marketing have a shared purpose and should therefore align their initiatives for greater effect. A debate guest shared an example of this kind of cooperation from a financial services firm. Their HR function influenced marketing to make reward a key message in the external communication campaigns, aligning with their HR-led internal focus on rewarding employee behaviour. With finance, interaction is required because scarcity of funding and a shortage of human capital are two of the key obstacles when companies around the world seek to grow. The transformation of both departments' operating models has already begun, through the establishment of shared service centres and centres of excellence. But collaboration needs to continue 
as they are both important human capital decision-makers. The debate began to align with the recent Pricewaterhouse-Coopers hypothesis that by 2018, HR and finance could even be working as a combined function. Upskilling for the future Discussion around collaboration with IT brought to light another significant challenge, the need for HR to upskill. There is an emerging view that the discipline is becoming increasingly outdated and as a result, HR decision-makers often stick to purchasing get-out-of-jail technology and analytics. These are usually based around transactional activities such as payroll and are only adopted for compliance reasons. The debate guests agreed that before HR embraces disruptive technologies and capitalises on big data and analytics, it needs new employees who will understand how best to utilise them. Brian Summer, formerly Senior Director at Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture, recently said that giving powerful analytic tools to many HR folks today, who lack awareness or skills in these technologies and disciplines, is like giving a chainsaw to a four-year-old. If there is a significant upskill in technology, then we could see HR utilising big data to help businesses plan and identify opportunities, helping to address the disengagement problem through gamification and interactive tools and revolutionising talent management. With workplaces varying both in demographics and technological proficiency, the challenge then becomes to conduct an integration process that doesn't create resistance or conflict and that doesn't empower some and isolate others. The debate guests agreed that a balance needs to be struck between adopting quickly enough to satisfy tech-savvy employee demand and dedicating time and resources to ensure that everyone is on board and benefits. A rebalancing of competencies. It isn't just concerning technology, however, that an HR upskill is required. Quantitative thinking, integration skills, proactive learning and general business savvy are common departmental shortages. Upskilling in time for 2020. Here is how upskilling could benefit an HR department and inevitably a business. 1. Integration skills. Existing integration skills will be taxed by the influx of non-transactional innovations, which need to be adopted at a rate which attempts to satisfy demand, yet keeps everyone up to date. 2. Quantitative skills. Statistical experts are required to exploit big data and utilise modern HR technologies and analytical tools. Data derived from workforce analytics, ROI and employee contribution needs to be mined for key information, interpreted and then put to use. 3. Curious or continuous learners It has become a competitive necessity to keep up to date with the latest HR trends and innovations. Businesses who fail to take a proactive approach will likely be left playing catch-up, making this type of individual a valuable asset. 4. The business savvy HR teams now require people with current operational knowledge, enabling anticipation of future business plans and requirements. This allows HR to align their activities with the overall strategy of the business. 
an influx of these capabilities will equip HR to greet tomorrow's challenges with open arms, allowing HR to grow in relevance for the future. The future of HR The debate guests agreed that the key roles for HR going forward should be talent management and people strategy. HR needs to understand technology and big data and put them to work, transforming into a highly analytical and anticipatory function. Becoming a more strategic arm of the business will give HR a seat at the table and the ear of the board. Anticipatory HR departments are already 43% more likely to be involved in the long-term business planning process. Businesses that involve HR at this level are also over six times more likely to have exhibited strong financial performance versus those where the involvement of HR in the planning process is late or non-existent. HR has the opportunity to revolutionise talent management using data, analytics and technology to source, hire, engage, retain and monitor talent. Only 46% of executives globally feel capable of extracting meaningful insights from the available data, with 52% of these simply using workforce issues to drive strategy. HR can adopt a proactive mindset, not simply considering where you can find an accountant now, but where you could source accountants in potential expansion destinations in the future. Successful examples already in operation include Boeing's use of web-based workforce planning tools to continually evaluate long- and short-term skills requirements, and the National Grid, who use business growth and ageing workforce statistics to identify gaps over a three- to five-year period. A report by PwC claims that with sufficient collaboration and strategic focus, we could see HR leaders evolve into a chief people officer role, a powerful and influential component of business leadership. If HR remains transactional, then it will continue to be replaced by technology and outsourced. Therefore, HR needs to think outside the box. Neil Ellett questioned that when it comes to talent management, instead of always hiring specific skill sets for specific roles, why not hire the most talented people available and fit them in? Regarding existing employees, Chris Buckingham suggested that HR could ask their new influx of talent for input on their desired methods and platforms for communication, instead of dictating a set procedure. Helen Norris shared an innovation formulated by nationwide employees, the Unconference. This involves employees congregating to showcase activities and projects in an informal format. It is clear that HR departments are beginning to react, but with research finding that only 24% of executives believe HR is thinking long-term, and anticipating multiple versions of the future, it is also clear that for many, the alarm bells are not ringing loudly enough. Conclusion by Mike Beasley, CEO of Resource Solutions Group. After an insightful debate, I reflected on the concept of change, one of the key themes throughout the evening. The rate at which we are experiencing change is incredible, demonstrated by recent findings that most things students learn at university are already outdated by the time they graduate. Technology has been a key driver of change, and it will continue to influence both work and leisure for those who embrace the digital world. 
Whilst virtual communication and remote collaboration are now common features in the workplace, it is still my view that where possible, meeting face-to-face is the best method. That being said, many changes have been exaggerated, most notably regarding Gen Y. In my opinion, the values held by this generation are not that different from others. Things have changed, but people haven't, and given the opportunity, I think that they seek the same things I did. A positive career in a great work environment, clear opportunities for development and progression, and a good earning potential that allows them to shape their world outside of work. I have always enjoyed working with this demographic, often finding them easier to work with than older generations, who can be reluctant to change. We have created the world that Gen Y exists in, and it was our generation of managers that have decreased the value of many of today's job roles. Leadership needs to respond, and the effort exerted in providing a better offering for employees is likely to be repaid in loyalty and output, regardless of demographic. Finally, I believe that it is HR's time to shine. HR is in danger of becoming a general function, but its fate is in its own hands. HR needs to collaborate across all divisions, ensuring that they are advisors to, and allies of, finance, IT and marketing. HR also needs to upskill and initiate the adoption of new technologies and disruptive innovations. Big data-driven strategic analysis, proactive staffing and employee engagement policies, all viewed in both the short and long term, are all ways in which HR can and must evolve. As a result, HR should remain an essential strategic function to successful organisations in 2020, guiding them through the changing employment landscape. Thank you for listening. If you would like to get involved, simply visit www.thehrworld.co.uk or contact Caroline Beer, Business Manager for the HR World, on 0777 213 6284.